Well, once again, if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me now to our New Testament reading and our sermon text, which is Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. And I invite you now to open your hearts with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of God. The Apostle Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Loved ones in Christ, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may you grant us to comprehend your holy word according to your divine will, that we may learn from it, to put all our confidence in you alone, and withdraw it from all other creatures. Moreover, that also our old self with all its wicked desires may be crucified more and more each day, and that we may offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice, to the glory of your holy name, and to the building up of our neighbor, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. There are some people who are so kind and generous that you feel like you're just thanking them all the time because they just keep doing things for you. Maybe it's a kind-hearted friend who's always willing to help. They're just there when you need them to be. Maybe it's a mentor who's always, you know, kind of around, making sure you're okay, taking you out to lunch every once in a while on his or her own dime and catching up. Maybe it's an older relative who's been through what you've been through, and they're always willing to offer sage counsel and wisdom. People like this can stir our gratitude. They don't have to tell us to say thank you. We just want to say thank you to people like that. To know them is to thank them. What's supposed to be the same with God, although taken to the infinite degree, of course. Because he is always loving and generous. He is always there for us. He is always giving us what we need and providing for us better than we know. In Scripture, there is a connection between knowing God and thanking God. To know him is to thank them. That's how it should be anyway. And in this particular passage here in Romans chapter 1, we're taught that God has indeed made himself known. He has revealed himself to this wicked world and to finite, weary sinners like us. He has shown himself to be God. 
And because he's made himself known, our response to him must be thankfulness. We must be thankful people. But there's a problem, which is that we don't give thanks to God. We don't give him thanks because oftentimes we're not even aware of his generosity towards us. We are not spiritually in tune with his will. We are not humbling ourselves and confessing our sins before him. And so we're constantly blinding ourselves and we don't thank God. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter, Romans, and he tells us here in chapter one, the very beginning, some of the first things that he feels like he needs to get across to the Christians in Rome is that this problem is universal. Verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Picture a dam that is holding back a huge body of water. But even though it's holding back, you know, the fullness of that body of water, let's say that there's some cracks in the wall and there are some drips of that water coming through. God's wrath is like that. It will be poured out on the last day, but even now it is revealed from heaven as a warning, um, a severe but a merciful warning. One day it will indeed be poured out, but even now it is revealed from heaven. And, and in our day, we rarely, if ever, think about the wrath of God. Did you think about the wrath of God today? Was that on your mind at all? Uh, probably not. It's, it's a weighty subject, and we don't uh, enjoy thinking about it, but it is necessary for us to think about it because it's in the Holy Scriptures. And sometimes we don't think about it because we don't understand really what it is. God's wrath is his holy and just anger against sin. When you feel a righteous indignation because of some injustice that's taken place, you know, that's a justified anger. How much more then is it the prerogative of God who has made all things good and now sin has come to wreck it and he sees it all? You know, we see just a fraction of the sin in this world, but he sees it all. How much more is he justified in having holy and righteous anger against sin? And his wrath is that anger, which is revealed now, even now in this age, revealed from heaven. If we, think, if we think about the wrath of God at all, if we give our mind to it at all, we tend to reserve it only for the worst possible sinners in our minds. You know, the scoundrels that we read about in the news, that's who we reserve it for. But look at what Paul says. Look at who God is actually angry with, according to verse 21 where it is speaking about all humankind, Paul says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. As it turns out, the wrath of God is not reserved just for the murderers and the rapists of, of this age, but it is, it is reserved for those who do not give thanks to God because he is the all-generous and all-sufficient God, and we barely lift a finger to say thank you. It's, it's treasonous against the king. To know God is to thank God. Again, that's how it's supposed to be. But instead of thanking him, the human race has, verse 18 says, suppressed the truth about who God is, and verse 23, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for mere 
creature. And more specifically, just images of mere creatures. He's speaking about idolatry here. We have exchanged, we suppress the truth about God and we exchange that God for mere created things. In other words, we tend to tell lies to ourselves about who God is. And usually without knowing it, which is why it's so hard to confess it as sin, because we don't know we're doing it. But we tell lies to ourselves. That is Paul's plain teaching, is that we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We turn from God who has made us, and the one to whom we should be giving thanks and praise and gratitude, and instead we turn other things into God. That's the point of verse 23. The things that God himself has made, we now exalt in his place. Uh, The immortal God has been exchanged now for mere mortal men and creatures. We make God into our own image. Or at least we make him into an image that is more suitable to us. We suppress the truth about his sovereignty and make ourselves the master of our fates and the captains of our souls. We suppress the truth about his love making it to mean that we can do or believe or say kind of whatever we want. He won't be angry because he's love. How often do we hear this now? Uh, my God is loving and he would not do that. Well, that's suppressing the truth. It's suppressing the truth about his love. We suppress the truth about his grace. He tells us his grace is sufficient. And we say, no, it's not. All of this suppression of the knowledge of God gives us a skewed view of who God actually is. He is greater than we can possibly imagine. He is outside the confines of our minds. He's outside the confines of creation itself. He is greater, larger, more generous, more fearful than we can possibly wrap our minds around. And we suppress the truth about the knowledge of God. And so our view of God, our knowledge of God is actually skewed. And the question that hangs over us in this passage then is, how can you thank him if you don't know him? If we suppress the truth about God and we have such a skewed image of who God actually is, how can you say thanks to him? That's the problem. We don't give thanks to God. But there are many reasons to give thanks to him. That's our second point this evening. There are manifold reasons to give thanks to God. Now, we've, we've already said that he's made himself known. Plenty of people in the world don't think that he has. Don't think that he's there at all. They say there is no God. Maybe there is a God, but he can't be known, so it's kind of irrelevant. But Paul says in verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to humankind. Because God has shown it to them. God himself, as the initiating one in this relationship, has made himself known. And to know him is to thank him. Again, at least it should be. He's made himself known. And scripture shows us that there are countless reasons to give thanks to him. Here are a few extracted from this particular passage. We are to thank him for the beauty of creation. We ought to thank him for the beauty of creation. Verse 20 goes on to say that God has revealed himself ever since the creation of the world. That's when he began to reveal himself was, you know, 
before we were even here. Before He even made us, that revelation of God, the revealing of who He is was taking place. That is what humankind came into, was the grand theater of God's glory. That's what John Calvin called creation, the theater of God's glory. It's a wonderful image. Uh, Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens themselves declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim the works of his hands. Why do we give thanks to God? Paul says, look around. Look all around you. Brothers and sisters, God was under no obligation to create this world with any, any semblance of order or wisdom or beauty. But that's exactly how he made the world. He laid its foundations in wisdom and with, with breathtaking beauty. Even the unbeliever cannot deny this. But God has done it so that we would look at the beauty and order and wisdom of the world and give glory to him. Not to the things that he has made. The heavens declare the glory of God. And so we ought to give thanks to him for the beauty of Creation. Another reason to thank him is for the glory of redemption. It is good enough reason that God has made the world that we ought to thank him. That he's the creator of all things. How much more then should we give him thanks and show him gratitude that he's redeemed us? We've spoken about God's wrath being revealed from heaven. That righteous anger is being stored up, Paul says elsewhere. A terrifying image, but it's being stored up for the last day, but not if you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that wrath which will be poured out on the last day will not be poured out on those who have already been hidden in Jesus Christ. Those who have placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have someone who has stood in their place and has had God's wrath poured out upon him already. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture says it again and again. Our deepest gratitude is because the Lord has saved us from our sins. So that any, any ounce of anger that we face as believers in this life is mere fatherly discipline. It's fatherly discipline. It is the dis- discipline of the covenant of grace. And it is not that wrath which punishes everlastingly. That wrath has been poured out on the Son of God in your place. And we must give him thanks for this. Another reason we give him thanks is for the hope of a new creation. The hope of a new creation. We are waiting, the Apostle Peter says, echoing Isaiah, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Although God's attributes are shown to us in creation from the very beginning, His attributes are shown, Paul says it uh, right here in Romans 1, His divine nature, His eternal power, it's already been revealed. But it is also true that sin has wrecked this world. It can be hard to perceive His glory. It can be hard to see it and to give Him thanks for it when this is a world filled with tornadoes and wildfires and and crooked politicians, and car wrecks, and shootings, and addiction. and It can be hard to perceive of the glory of God when this world has been so wrecked by those kinds of things, and many, many more. But the God of creation has promised to make all things new, including you. 
He will raise up your body and give you a glorious body. No less than he gave a glorious body to Jesus Christ. God will not abandon this world. And he will make all things new. Loved ones in Christ, we must give thanks to the Lord. For his marvelous deeds in creation and in redemption. And we must give him thanks for the hope of creation renewed. It will come. It will come. Lastly this evening... How do we thank God? Well, we've seen that we have this terrible problem that incurs the wrath of God. And that problem is that we don't give him thanks. And now we've been given reasons why we ought to thank him. But how do we do that? How do we do that? What does thankfulness to God actually look like? Well, we thank him through our worship. In fact, that's probably the most important way that we thank God because that's what we will do in that new creation when it comes. Never stopping with our gratitude to God except finally we'll be rid of our sin so we'll thank Him properly. And all of the worship that we do, including on nights like tonight and every Lord's Day when we gather as the people of God, is like the preview of the main attraction. We are training ourselves like we train ourselves for anything through repetition and through gathering with other people who do the same thing. We gather together in order that we might give thanks to God for all his benefits. We saw this in our Old Testament reading in 2 Chronicles chapter 5. So many ox and sheep are being slaughtered as thanksgiving offerings to God that they couldn't even count them anymore. And all the trumpeters and the harpists and, and all the Levitical priests are leading the assembly of God just outside the temple to say thanks to God. Because his steadfast love endures forever. And it is no different in this new covenant in which we find ourselves. The forms may be different. The forms of worship may be different. But we have the same end goal, which is to say thank you to God. We give sacrifices of thanksgiving, not by slaughtering animals, but by lifting our voices. We sing songs of thanksgiving to him. You know, even the Lord's Supper is in itself an act of thanksgiving. On the night before he was betrayed, Jesus said, thank you to God. He blessed the bread. Just historically speaking, that's why it's called the Eucharist. That's a word that means thanksgiving. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of thanksgiving. It's part of our worship. We are saying thank you to God for all that he's done for us. So that anytime you come to church, you ought to remind yourselves as you walk through the door, I'm here to say thanks. I'm here to say thanks. We thank him through our worship. We also thank him through our prayers. This is one of the major themes that we find in all the letters of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. In nearly all of his letters, Paul tells us something about what he's praying for. It's, it's a really interesting glimpse into the prayer life of the great Apostle. And at the top of his list are things like this from Colossians chapter 1. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God. And that's just a sampling. That's a dime a dozen through the letters of Paul. Always thanking God for the increase of faith that he sees in the church in, in uh, Ephesians, uh, in Ephesus. Or thanking God because he, he has been, uh, he's been able to teach from house to house in, in another city. He is constantly writing in his letters that what he's been up to in his prayer life is saying thank you to God. The old song says, count your blessings, count your blessings, name them one by one. 
What if you were to do that? List them out. And for each one that you've named, you give thanks to God in prayer. We, we say thank you through our prayers. We also thank him with our whole lives. Our whole lives are to be offered to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In an important way, everything that a Christian does is supposed to be like that. Everything. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says, We are to give thanks always and for everything. To give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Offer your whole self to God in thankfulness. Let your work be an act of thanks. Let your hobbies be an act of thanks. Conversations, your meals, your fellowship with other people. Let them all be acts of thanks to God. Let your mind constantly be drawn back to how ill-deserving we are and how kind and gracious God is. Loved ones in Christ, to know God is to thank Him. But we must truly know Him if we are going to say thanks. Fight off the lies that we tell ourselves about God. Fight them off with all that is in you, with God's help. Look around at the beauty of the world. Remember the glory of the cross where your sins were dealt with decisively. Put your hope in the creation that is to come. And when you come to know God in these ways, then give thanks. Amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, graciously grant that your word which we have heard may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. As we receive your word meekly with pure affection, may our hearts be filled with love and reverence and thanksgiving for you. Cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following your commandments. And may it please you to use us to lead those who are lost, wandering and confused into the way of truth. All this we pray for the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.